Welcome to the Dad's Podcast, discussions about dad stuff. I am Dan Pelham, founder of the Solo Dad Movement and host of the Dad's Podcast. Feel free to reach out to me and share your story at thesolodadmovement.com, email thesolodadmovement at outlook.com, Facebook, the Solo Dad Movement, Instagram, the underscore solo underscore dad underscore movement, Twitter at the Solo Dad Move One. In this podcast, I will be interviewing dads and men from all walks of life in hopes that maybe someone will hear their story and understand that they are not alone. I want to shift fatherhood from boys don't cry, tough it out, and the disciplinarian to a place of love, empathy, and understanding from men who are willing to share their stories and feelings with others. I really hope you enjoy this journey into what it means to be a dad. Welcome to episode one, where I tell you a little bit about myself and why I'm here and what my goals are and how I hope to progress with this podcast. My name is Dan Pelham. I am 43 years old. I live in Broomfield, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver and pretty much dead center between Denver and Boulder. I have lived here my entire life. I love this town. It's very safe. It's it's a fortune, you know, I feel very fortunate that I'm allowed to, I was allowed to be raised here and I'm allowed to raise my kids here because of how safe and family and community oriented it is. Um, I was raised by both my parents who were happily married for 50 years. My dad passed away in April of 2018. It was a very big turning point in my life. Um, I didn't realize until after he passed that I lived to please him. And, you know, with him being gone, I now really just am here to please myself and do what I need to do to make myself happy. And I don't think that he would have never supported me, but I also know that I, in 43 years, don't ever feel like I did anything that was good enough for the man. So there's that. We didn't say I love you. We didn't have contact with each other. We didn't touch. We didn't hug. You know, I love you again wasn't something we said. I, uh, we didn't speak for close to a decade in my 20s, just not out of anger or spite. We just didn't have anything to say to each other, to be honest with you. Um, I sat with my dad in his last months of life, I would say almost daily, if not every other day. And I sat there and I listened to all of my sisters, which I have four of, three older and one younger, come over and say their goodbyes and all the grandkids come over and say their goodbyes and friends come over and acquaintances and people I didn't know and he said I love you to a lot of those people and I sat in that chair and I listened and I hoped and the 10 year old kid inside of me screamed that he would say I love you but being who we are as people my dad being him and raising me to be who I am, we're both very stubborn and I never ask. I never, never told him I love you. So I don't know who's to blame for that, but I'm going to make sure that it's not a mistake that's repeated with my children. We never leave without an I love you, and I tell my kids several times a day. My mom was an amazing woman. My dad was an amazing guy. It just took me being a father to realize that, I think. 
But back to my mom, she was a foster parent to over a thousand children. The entire time I was growing up, we had foster kids from the age of zero to six in our house. And I learned a lot about how to raise kids and how to love and how to be empathetic and sympathetic and understanding and listen. But I also learned very young that the evil that humans can do as far as child abuse, neglect, drug abuse, sexual abuse. Kids would show up broken, literally broken bones, several broken bones, burns, bruises, traumatized to the point that they would sit in the corner in the fetal position and almost go into fits of rage when they had to have human contact. You know, we helped them through as best we could and we got them back to healthy and sometimes they went on to different foster homes and sometimes they went home and sometimes they came back worse than they left. And there wasn't a whole lot you could do but love them again. In that life, I learned a lot, like I said, you know, about what it means to care for people and again, the worst that people could be. But I also think I was overlooked a lot as a child because I didn't have those needs and, you know, my needs were met. I was healthy. I was good. I had clothes. I had food. I had a place to live. I had two parents that loved me. You know, I wasn't a necessity of my feelings being met right away. And in that, I think I got lost. That showed up probably fourth or fifth grade in my grades. I started to act out, rebel against authority. You know, the typical problem child. I continued through high school. I quit high school at 16 years old. I failed eighth grade twice and they just kicked me out and sent me to high school, which was, you know, pretty good learning experience in its own. I never went back, I never finished, I've never I don't think that I've ever suffered because of it, you know. I very much look at you make the choices you make and you go forward from there and you can't look back and wonder because that story might have ended completely different and, you know, you'll never know. But my story is what it is and I'm proud to be where I am today, even though it took a lot to get here. So my 20s, I worked a lot. I had two or three jobs all the time, but I also did a lot of drugs and drank a lot of alcohol and didn't deal with any of my life. I just was fucked up, to be honest with you, the entire time. And some people knew, some people didn't, you know. Everyone knew that I smoked weed, but I went through phases with cocaine and phases with ecstasy and, you know, I mean, for a while there, if it was available and somebody had it, I would do it. Luckily, I never in my life put a needle in my arm or tried heroin, but, you know, I did a lot. And, again, would I go back and change it? Probably not, because it got me to where I am today, and I'm pretty proud of this guy. My dad was a very strict disciplinarian of the family. He went to work every day. He came home. Dinner was on the table. My mom took care of the house, the dishes, everything else. If we were in trouble or there was disciplinary things to be held, my dad was my dad's job. And no matter what I did, I never felt like it was good enough. And he made it evidently clear most of the time. I'd mow the lawn and, you know, that week it was supposed to be mowed at an angle and not straight or not vertical and instead horizontal. Or he didn't put the tools back where he got them. Well, I got it out of the toolbox. Well, that's not the part of the toolbox where the screwdriver goes. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I got my ears pierced in sixth grade. 
Well, my left ear pierced in sixth grade, just out of spite and anger, and it works. So one time in my life, I can remember my dad slapping me across the face just out of pure anger. And, you know, I kept pushing. And to be honest with you, like, after I had kids and growing up, I really thought my dad was an asshole. Like, he just, I don't know why he was angry, but he seemed very angry to me and very upset. And once I had kids, I realized that maybe it wasn't just my dad that was an asshole, but I was quite the asshole myself. <laughs> so, in that, you know, again, we got to a point where we just chose that it was easier not to talk to each other. We were never angry, never upset, but we definitely went through a phase where it was just easier to not be. In his passing, I learned that in the times that mattered, my dad was there. I got into a motorcycle accident that I came within half a millimeter of my life, like they could actually see the vein that runs up to my neck that feeds my brain. They could see it through the cut in the back of my neck. Luckily, I missed cutting that artery or vein because... I wouldn't have gotten up and walked away from that accident. And by getting up and walking away, let me explain to you that I cut the bottom half of my ear off. I degloved my left arm. I had short-term memory loss, severe concussion, lacerations all over my body, road rash. Like I got up and walked away because I was drunk. I was on the back of the bike with a friend who also survived the accident, but again, with brain injuries. And from what I understand, I don't remember, but he didn't get up and walk away. They had to find him and pull him out of the ditch. My children. <laughs> up until I was, geez, my whole life, up until my early 30s, I did not want kids under any circumstances, like for no reason. It wasn't something that was something I wanted, something I was willing to do, something I even thought would be a good idea. December 11th, 2008. My entire mind and world changed. My son was brought into this world, and I didn't know it at that very moment. I felt it, but I didn't know what it was. But my purpose on this planet is to be a dad. It always was. I just denied it for a long time. Um, I wouldn't ask for anything more in this world, and that makes me complete and happy in so many ways that it's hard to explain. I have two older children, Abby who is almost 17 and AJ who just turned 15. They are stepchildren. That I've been in their life since they were, gee whiz, six and four when I started dating their mom. And I've raised them as my own the entire time. Their mom was an alcoholic. She was sober when we started dating. I think, you know, when you deal with someone with addictions, it's hard to tell. I mean, I've been there. I've done that. I will say I'm an addict. I have been sober for a while now. I'm um, going on two years. Some days it's a struggle. Some days I don't even notice it. But I do know that that demon lives inside me. And when, you, when you're with someone who struggles with those same demons... It's hard to tell when you're getting the truth or not. So, I don't know. I know for pretty close to sure that as soon as my son was brought into this world, she started drinking again. Our relationship lasted a little less than a year after that. And I left. We got into an argument and she followed me out into the parking lot and just kept nagging and talking and 
wouldn't let it go, and I turned around with my finch clenched. And I had no intention of hitting her, but I was just angry. And when I turned around, my daughter Abby was standing there, and that was it. I knew right then that what we were in was more than toxic to us. It was toxic to our children, and I got my stuff, and I left. I never went back. I don't know how that affected my kids, to be honest with you. Like, you know, but I think long-term, looking back, it was the right decision, and I'm glad I made it. We went through a few years of custody battles and court cases and, you know, the normal BS that people go through when they separate, and the entire time she drank, got really sick and from liver cirrhosis and went into a coma. And we were told that she wasn't going to live through that, and I took my kids to say goodbye to their mom, and my youngest was three which would make the other two, oh geez, eight and ten. I don't know that I've ever been through a harder day in my life than that day right there. Like having to take your kids to the hospital to say goodbye to their mom who's unresponsive and hooked up to a bunch of bullshit is not something I hope anyone ever has to go through, you know. And I don't want to say suffer because, you know, yes, it was hard, but I very much don't want to look at it as we suffered. I did then. For sure. I mean, it was definitely suffering then, but now it's just, you know, it's it's what had to happen in our lives, I guess. Um, so from there, she did recover. She came out of the coma and recovered, and I was granted full custody of my child, and the dad, Abby and AJ's dad, was granted full custody of them, and we got together at that point and decided it would be best to raise our kids as a family unit. So we've co-parented our kids for the last 10 years together. And I think we've done a pretty amazing job. Um, it was hard. It was a dark, dark place for me for a long time. Like, I started this whole thing with a Facebook page called The Solo Dad, which was just where I went to vent and, str- vent and write down my struggles and hopes that someone would listen and understand and like and love and comment or whatever it took to get me through that day sometimes. But... I tried to ingrain in my child's children that it was not an excuse that their mom was sick, but, you know, when your daughter comes to you and says she's tired of being the girl in school whose mom's always dying, and your son comes to you and says that he just can't see his mom anymore because it hurts too much, and your little one sometimes just wishes she was dead and acts out in ways that are beyond comprehension, it breaks your heart. Um... But we got through it together as a family unit, you know, and it was hard and it was a very dark place where, you know, people just say, well, move on, you know, she's not part of your life anymore, you have full custody of your kids, but it wasn't that easy in the position I was in. Like, I watched and I struggled with who she was and what was going on and my kids having to suffer through the same crap. Like, it was hard for me in my late late 30s and early 40s. I can't imagine what it was like for my children. So in 2018, her mother, their grandmother, took her own life in January of 2018. I don't know that there was ever any reason behind it or knowledge of why, but it happened. And my father passed in April of 2018, and Lisa succumbed to alcoholism and liver cirrhosis in October of 2018. So it was a hard year. And... I chose, I don't know, a week after her grandma took her own life 
to get sober. For the first time in my life, I was sober, like dead sober. And I would go out and have a couple Coronas with the guys, but I never got drunk. You know, I quit smoking weed like there was no more drugs. And I think, I don't know, maybe I conscious, subconsciously knew what was coming down the line. And, you know, I've been in therapy for years, but I knew what was coming and I saw it. And I worked through it and did what I had to. And, you know, I've been sober since then. I'm not saying I didn't relapse. I've smoked weed a couple of times. You know, I've drinking here and there, but never to the point of intoxication, really. So, I am proud that today I can say I am sober, and I've been sober for quite some time, and don't plan on going back, but there are days that, again, I do struggle. Um, I want for my kids, more than anything, for them to be happy and to understand that there's no amount of money in the world that can buy that for you. Like, my, we go to San Francisco or San Diego every year for Thanksgiving, and I don't know what, what it is about the ocean or the beach or the environment, but my daughter, who is amazing, like, <laughs> I know everyone says that about their kids, so I'll just not go off on that tangent, but her soul is happy there. Like, I can see it. You can just, she emanates happiness from her entire being when she's at the ocean. So I hope that's where she finds herself. That's where she plans to go to college. It's where I hope that she stays because it's good for her soul. My my sons, one of them wants to be a chef, which, you know, I support 100%. My kids can do whatever they want as long as they find happiness in what they're doing and I don't want them to get sucked into a nine to five because they make 200 grand a year but at the end of the day like what do you get two weeks of vacation to enjoy it like no thanks that's just not the life I want you know that's the life I've lived for the last 10 years to support my children and make sure they had everything they needed and wanted because they didn't have a mom and now that she's gone and my kids are old enough to be by themselves I'm starting out on this project I'm also working on getting certified to be a coach to help other men through the process of divorce and loss and separation. And not just men, anyone, but primarily men, because I don't think the resources are out there. And that's part of the reason I'm doing this podcast, is just to add another resource to the pot and give men a place to go where they can put an earpod in, an AirPod in and drive to work and listen to somebody else's story and understand that what they're going through someone else has been through and you know, maybe reach out to me and share their story with me so that others will know that they're not alone. You know, that's my goal in this is to just be able to interview dads and men from all over the world so that men who don't feel like they have a place to go or someone to talk to or, you know, like they go to the bar and drink with their friends and their friends don't want to hear about their problems. Like, we're men. We don't talk about our problems. Rare. Like, you know, if you feel that way, like, please listen to this and call me up or email me and we'll get together and you can share your story so that others understand that they're not alone in going through the same stuff. I, like I said, I mean, as far as generational cycles, I think are a huge issue in the world. I think, you know, you're raised in an abusive home. You pass that down to your children, your children pass that down to them. And I hope to hope to eliminate some of that. I've been very conscious of it and I try my best not to raise my kids the way I was raised by my dad. I try to be involved in their lives and 
make sure they know I love them and that I'm there and I'm not just there to make the money and come home and be the disciplinary and like you know I don't want to say that I want to be their friend but I want them to be able to tell me everything and I think at this point we do a pretty good job of that I've never been married I've never been engaged I've been in half a dozen serious relationships but I just don't know that that's in my cards. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. The future holds crazy things that nobody thinks about. I mean, for 30 years I didn't want to be a dad, and for the last 10 I can't think of any better way to spend my time. So, it's crazy. Um, I would say as far as our economical class, I mean, if you looked in from the outside, upper middle class, you know, maybe. My kids don't go without. My 10-year-old has a PlayStation and an Xbox and a TV and an iPad and an iPhone and a scooter and a skateboard and two bikes and everything you can imagine. And part of that is because I didn't want him to go without because he went without a mom. And, you know, so that's on me. Like, I hope that it doesn't come back to bite me in the ass. But I also felt very guilty and very much like he deserved it, you know, and he's not what I would consider spoiled, like he's very well-mannered and he does very good in school and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think that I so much gave him a disservice, but we'll find out, I guess, as life goes on. Um, as far as their education, like I said, my daughter plans to go to college in San Diego. I don't know that she knows exactly what she's going to major in, and her dad was in the military, so... I don't think she'll exhume too much debt. I hope she doesn't get too much debt from it, you know. And there's some money left over for a mom and grandma that's going to help pay for the kids to go to college. So I hope that she can get a four-year degree with minimal debt coming out of it. And, you know, that serves her in life. But I also hope that after that she finds out what makes her happy rather than, you know, what she feels like she should do. My son is wanting to go to culinary school to be a chef again. 100% support. There isn't a whole lot of financial aid for that. I don't know. We haven't really looked into it, but we'll make it work. And my youngest, like, man, I don't know about that kid. (laughs) He's amazing in school, and I'd love for him to go to college, but I also don't want to just reel a kid with debt because he doesn't know what he wants to do. And, you know, if he's allowed to dream and think outside the box, then maybe that's not something he needs to do. Maybe he finds his own passion and you know, struggles a little bit through life, but I hope that, like I said, they all just come out the other side happy. No matter what, I support my kids. Pregnancy, sexual orientation, religion, whatever they choose is best for them and makes them happy. Like, I 100% will back them and support them. Their dad feels the same way. You, we will. I do have a discussion later in an episode with him kind of talking about how we raised our kids together and how he was raised and the differences in that. So I really hope that you enjoy this podcast and it becomes something you listen to. I'm going to try and put it out twice a week with different interviews from different people from, you know, I'm going to start in my town and people I know and move out from there and just anyone that wants to reach out, please feel free. Like I would love to sit down with anyone that's willing to share their story. Whether you don't think you have one or not, you do, you know, and even if you don't have kids, you have a dad, and maybe you want kids and you can't have them, or, you know, maybe you've adopted kids, or maybe you've lost kids, like, please, just reach out, 
you know, spend a half hour or 45 minutes, an hour talking to somebody about your story. It might help you out, and I guarantee you it will help somebody else out. And that's the point of this whole thing. So I hope you guys enjoy it and follow me and tell your friends to follow me. and Subscribe to my podcast. Have a wonderful day. Hug your children and tell them you love them all as often as you can.